This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Warsaw, Poland, July 2016. 40-year-old paranormal investigator Max Spears is in town from Canterbury, England to speak at a conference for conspiracy theorists. While he's there, a woman he has recently met through the conspiracy theory community offers to let him crash on her couch overnight. Spears has long been making a name for himself in the ufologist community as a UFO investigator. Since he was five years old and first saw a UFO outside his bedroom window, Spears has dedicated his life to exposing UFO cover-ups at the highest levels. Recently, however, he has started digging into the lives of prominent politicians who he believes may be actively working to cover up alien activity on Earth. His first day in town, he begins to feel sick. He takes some drugstore medication to settle his stomach. Nevertheless, he is excited for the conference. He checks in with several friends and family members to confirm that he has arrived safely in Poland and is gearing up for his talk in a few days. But as the week progresses, Spears begins to suspect that the warm welcome he's received in Poland is not what it seems. A few days after Spears lands in Poland, he sends his mother back home a chilling text. Quote, Your boy's in trouble. If anything happens to me, investigate. End quote. He has begun to feel deathly ill, so much so that he begins to vomit a thick black liquid. Hours later, he is found dead on the couch. Polish authorities rule his death to be of natural causes, but no autopsy is ever performed on his body and no specific natural cause ever pinpointed. His mother determined her own cause of death, a shadow government called the Men in Black. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, the podcast where we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. If you want to listen to previous episodes, you can find them on your favorite podcast directory or on our website, parcast.com. I'm Carter Roy. I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. Ah, but sometimes it's not. Today, we're talking about the Men in Black, a secret organization that is believed to cover up alien encounters and UFO sightings. This organization is so secretive that the United States government has openly denied its existence for over 70 years. Last week, we concluded that the organization itself is probably non-existent. 
That said, documentation leaked by Edward Snowden suggests that government officials occasionally pose as men in black as a means of psychological warfare against private citizens who have witnessed top-secret Air Force activity. We also determined that most sightings of the men in black lack concrete evidence and are likely hoaxes. But there are countless conspiracy theories about the existence of this organization and the makeup of its members. This week, we're going to examine three of the most popular conspiracy theories surrounding the men in black. Conspiracy theory number one. The men in black are actually part of a shadow government designed to conceal alien activity on Earth. Conspiracy theory number two. The men in black are an alien race, living on Earth to glean our secrets, weapons, and culture while fighting to maintain their invisibility. And finally, conspiracy theory number three. The men in black engage in psychological warfare with the American public to protect aliens already living among us. In 1938, American radio broadcast a science fiction drama written by Orson Welles called War of the Worlds. It was written as a breaking news story about an alien invasion threatening the planet. Most people loved it and thought it was a fun radio drama. But those who didn't get the memo thought the news report detailed an actual alien invasion from Mars. They panicked. A few years later, War of the Worlds was broadcast again, this time in Quito, Ecuador, and without warning. Sans context, the majority of the city thought they were under attack by Martian invaders. People fled their homes, creating stampedes and riots. Several people died in the chaos. It might seem like a horrific overreaction, but back in 1938, at the start of World War II, anything felt possible. The world was changing in a way that many were not ready for. Even the craziest of scenarios became very real threats. Of course, there were no alien invasions. And as World War II ramped up, the public forgot all about the sci-fi drama and the Martian attack on planet Earth. For nine years, the idea of visitors from another planet would leave the public zeitgeist. Until a hot summer day in Roswell, New Mexico, 1947. Since 1947, there have been hundreds of recorded sightings of the men in black showing up shortly after people witness UFO activity and using intimidation tactics to scare the witnesses into silence, supposedly preventing the panic seen in the USA and Quito in the 1930s. They claim to be CIA operatives, but there are many who question the validity of that claim. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number one. Are the men in black actually part of a shadow government designed to conceal alien activity on Earth? Well, to understand that, we have to begin at the first UFO sighting in the United States. Roswell, New Mexico, 1947. On July 7th, a rancher named Mac Brazel discovered unidentifiable debris littering his sheep pasture. He described it as a collection of metallic sticks, foil reflectors, and scraps of lightweight metal. He called the sheriff's office, who in turn called the nearby Roswell Air Force Base. The Air Force came out in armored trucks to investigate. They collected the debris for testing and thanked the man for reporting the incident. The Air Force immediately called General Roger Ramey, commander of the 8th AAF in Fort Worth, Texas. Ramey was a West Point graduate with a robust military career, but he also had a reputation for being a Texan cowboy through and through. He even owned a ranch in northern Texas. The morning of the crash at Roswell, Ramey had been at an air show in his hometown of Denton, Texas, leading a flight of B-29s from Utah to Denton. His celebration was cut short, however, after receiving a call from his chief of staff, Brigadier General Thomas Dubose. Dubose informed Ramey that unidentified debris had been collected from a ranch in New Mexico. Under the strictest secrecy, the debris was being transported to Washington, D.C. by way of Fort Worth. 
The next day, July 8, 1947, the newspapers ran a story saying that a flying saucer had crashed just outside Roswell on a ranch farm. The article incited both criticism and hysteria, depending on who you asked. By that time, the debris collected from the crash had already been transported to Texas. There is a famous photograph taken in Ramey's home, which shows a member of the Air Force holding a piece of silver foil that was supposedly pulled from the crash. The silver foil was that of a common weather balloon, far from alien material. It was the main piece of evidence used to debunk claims that the debris from the Roswell crash was from an alien spaceship. The aftermath of the crash was put into the capable hands of General Nathan F. Twining, the commanding general of the Air Material Command at Wright Field. Twining was a West Point grad and celebrated war hero. He is best known for holding the highest ranking military position in the United States, chairman for the Joint Chiefs of Staff under President Eisenhower in the 1950s. At the end of his illustrious career, he was one of the most decorated military officials in United States history, with over 30 medals for military service. But in July of 1947, he had but one directive, investigate the crash at Roswell. As part of his command, he was in charge of receiving the debris collected from Brazel's ranch. According to MUFON and other theorists, when Twining looked over the debris, he concluded that this technology was not made by human hands. He submitted it to the government for a classified, comprehensive study on the debris and UFO activity in the United States. Allegedly, President Harry S. Truman read over the reports and gave strict instructions to the top generals in Washington to squelch the Roswell rumors and stories that were making waves across the country. For many believers in the men in black, there was suddenly a gaping need for an enforcement team able to carry out the president's wishes. But I digress. On July 9th, an Air Force official went on the record in a follow-up article. They went on the record claiming that the collected debris was from a crashed weather balloon, touting the photograph taken the day before. While this calmed the fears of many, it also spurred conspiracy theories about what had really crashed in Roswell two days previous. To them, the article seemed like a cover-up. Pictures of the crash taken by reporters at the scene showed debris that looked nothing like a weather balloon. And those who saw the debris rejected the notion that it was a down balloon. The debris bore no resemblance to anything they'd seen before. They argued that there was only one reasonable explanation. It was a crashed alien spaceship. If there was truly something to conceal in the wake of Roswell, President Truman took every possible step to do so. He started by signing the National Security Act of 1947. The act created the Central Intelligence Agency, or CIA. It also combined all four branches of the United States military and put them under the command of the country's first Secretary of Defense, a man named James Forrestal. Forrestal is a fascinating character who is best described by the Washington Post as, quote, an American hero during America's most heroic era. Tough and combative, small but dashing, he combined the ascending genius of American capitalism with the can-do drive of a New Deal bureaucrat, end quote. He was a man of the people who relished new challenges. High praise indeed. Forrestal had been instrumental in winning World War II and was among the first bureaucrats to foresee the looming threat of the Soviet Union. He was a national hero and trustworthy pick for Secretary of Defense. However, this is where we depart from the official record and delve into conspiracy. Shortly after being appointed in the fall of 1947, Truman allegedly asked Forrestal to assemble a team of specialists for a classified UFO investigation, according to a leaked memo issued by Truman. Forrestal assembled a group of scientists, military personnel, and government officials known as Majestic 12. 
Madge 12 was meant to operate as a shadow government, going to great lengths to conceal alien activity from the general public. Well, the notion of Majestic 12 might seem outlandish, hyperbolic even, but remember that in the late 1940s, the Cold War was ramping up and the nation faced unprecedented uncertainty abroad. Nuclear threat was looming and the population was anxious over the future. Not 10 years ago, a radio drama about invaders from Mars had caused widespread hysteria. Imagine what could happen if an actual UFO was confirmed by the US government. There would be pandemonium. All hell could break loose. It's not unfathomable that this was seen as a way of protecting US citizens. To be clear, the memo has been contested as false, but for the sake of conspiracy, I'll suspend my disbelief and assume it's true. MAJ-12 was tasked with collecting evidence of UFO activity in the United States and maintaining secrecy regarding all things extraterrestrial. Because the group was secret, they had no accountability to the American public. They were appointed leaders given power without election. The group met without an elected public official to mediate because Truman didn't want a member of the group to have to lie to his constituency or act against the best interests of Madge 12 to better serve his electorate. Nevertheless, voices of dissent plagued the group from its inception. According to MUFON researchers and leaked memos, Forrestal was against keeping UFOs secret from the American public. Unsurprisingly, this put him up against the other 11 members of Majestic 12. Some believe he was getting out of hand, and Maj-12 needed a way to keep Forrestal in line. Luckily for them, Truman had already created the need for an organization charged with containing alien activity and intimidating witnesses. While the actions taken against Forrestal are hidden from public record, friends and colleagues of Forrestal began to report that between 1947 and 1948, he showed increasingly erratic behavior. Forrestal's own family said that he absolutely fell apart. Forrestal began to believe that his home was bugged and his wires were tapped. He also noticed that strange men were keeping watch outside his home. One of said men even knocked on his door and spoke to a member of Forrestal's house staff, who described him as very strange-looking and odd. Many believe the stalkers were the first men in black, proof that they work for the shadow government Majestic 12, and they were so masterful at terrorizing their marks that even Forrestal began to crack. The men in black are thought to be Majestic 12's henchmen, or possibly members of Madge 12 themselves, the muscle keeping the shadow government in power and squelching the faintest hint of resistance. Forrestal officially resigned on March 28, 1949. Many allege it was in an effort to stave off the endless harassment from the mysterious men in black suits. Regardless, his family confirms that he continued to grow increasingly paranoid and unhinged. House staff have said he believed he was still being stalked and retreated into isolation. To the members of the Majestic 12, this required a delicate hand. Even though he was out of the game, he knew some of the country's most sensitive secrets. MUFON believes Madge 12 put a hit on Forrestal to preserve the security of the secrets they had collected over their two years in operation. Only five days after tendering his resignation, Forrestal was taken to Bethesda Naval Hospital in Maryland for having a nervous breakdown and was held there for 30 days. His suite was on the 16th floor of the building. After a month of captivity, Forrestal's brother decided he'd been kept in the hospital for too long and wanted to come get him. But sadly, Forrestal wouldn't be leaving. That night, Forrestal fell out of the window of his 16th-story hospital suite to his death. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. And now, let's continue our story. 
Because the fall occurred on a naval facility, the local police were never called in to investigate the incident. Instead, the head of the Naval Board of Inquiry ruled James Forrestal's death a suicide. But there are a few things about the announcement that feel off. Yeah, first, neither Forrestal's attending physician nor his orderly were at the hospital that night, so he would have been left largely unattended. A dearth of eyes on his room. Mm -hmm. Second, there were scuff marks at the base of the window, indicating a struggle. If he did jump, it doesn't make sense that the walls would have been scuffed. To some, this was the first recorded murder perpetrated by the men in black. But is there any proof that the scuff marks were made that night? They could have been old marks that took on new meaning after Forrestal's suicide. After all, if the government did put a hit on Forrestal, they had to know that the family would investigate. That's a huge secret to keep quiet. Possibly, but remember that this was 1949, 14 years before the Kennedy assassination. At this point, most people trusted the government. There was no overwhelming mistrust of leaders or widespread conspiracy theories the way we've grown accustomed to today. It would be easier to sweep something like this under the rug. Of course, there was another byproduct of Forrestal's death. Whether a homicide or not, it sent a clear message to the rest of Majestic 12. The shadow government would stop at nothing to keep their organization secret. And if you bucked, their henchmen in black would be hot on your heels. But Forrestal would soon become the least of the shadow government's problems. UFO sightings would soon be much harder for the White House to control when seven foreign saucers flew overhead just three years later. The summer of 1952 saw an unprecedented uptick in UFO sightings. There were 79 in May, but by August, there were over 700 sightings reported by local and national papers. The sightings were getting harder to contain. General Nathan Twining, now the Vice Chief of Staff for the United States Air Force, was worried. Some assert that the increased number of UFO witnesses were proving too much for MAJ-12 to handle. In response, he formed another secret organization, Project Blue Book. This is when, according to the theories, the men in black found their true calling. As far as we can tell, Project Blue Book was a legitimate organization. Its existence is not contested as was Majestic 12, but the work of this organization was truly stranger than fiction. Some believe that Project Blue Book was actually created by the shadow government Majestic 12 and that Twining was one of its top secret members. Instead of investigating UFO sightings, as had been Majestic 12's directive, Blue Book aimed to discredit UFO witnesses and push all alien activity further underground. Their greatest challenge came on July 19, 1952. That day, an air traffic controller at Washington National Airport noticed seven unidentified aircrafts on his radar monitor. He contacted Washington Tower, which confirmed the sightings with Andrews Air Force Base. But before any action could be taken, the objects disappeared. A week later, the seven objects returned, and the Air Force was able to scramble fighter jets to investigate. Truman issued an order to shoot the objects out of the sky. But the flying crafts outmaneuvered the Air Force and made their escape. This incident became known as the Washington Flap. The unidentified objects were seen by thousands of people streaking across the D.C. sky. Even spokesperson Major Keyhole admitted during a press conference that they could have been UFOs visiting the Capitol. According to the theory, Majestic 12 had a choice to make. Let the cat out of the bag or double down on concealing alien activity. If ever they wanted to bring aliens out of the closet, now was the time. Instead, they chose secrecy. The strategy for the shadow government Majestic 12 and their affiliates at Project Blue Book became suppression over information. 
This is also when tales of men in black sightings began to become more outlandish, and rumors of some of their almost supernatural abilities began to emerge. By becoming otherworldly, they were able to make those who spoke out about them seem crazy, and slowly create the narrative that anyone who saw a UFO must be seeking attention, or be completely out of their minds. But as UFO sightings increased, it became harder to convince the general public that every witness was a liar. They had to start giving alternate explanations for UFO sightings, which became more outlandish as time went on. Up until now, the sightings were always easy to contain because only a few people would be involved. But in March of 1966, an entire county witnessed a UFO landing, which led to the most ridiculous of all Project Blue Book's debunkings. Yeah, on March 14th in Washtenaw County, Michigan, the Sheriff's Department received several calls about disks flying over the towns in the surrounding area. Two police officers, Budford Bouchot and John Foster, began visiting those who had called in and taking detailed accounts of what they witnessed. The sightings continued over a week. On March 20th, everything came to a head when a UFO seemed to land in a nearby swamp. A man and his son, joined by the sheriff's deputies, walked into the swamp in the hopes of seeing the UFO firsthand. But when they laid eyes on the UFO hovering in the bog, it quickly rose into the air and shot into the night sky. The deputies reported the incident to the Air Force immediately, and the Air Force dispatched their primary scientific consultant, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, to gather evidence and release a plausible scientific conclusion. But instead of offering a plausible explanation, Hynek claimed the UFO sighting was an optical illusion from rising swamp gas. The notion was so laughable it became a national joke over the next few weeks. Of course, the government couldn't come out at the height of UFO fever to announce they could not identify what had flown out of the swamp that night. It would have caused a panic. But just because they can't identify what the craft was doesn't necessarily make it alien. Well, there is one elected official who would disagree with that. Michigan Congressman and future president Gerald Ford called for a congressional investigation into what occurred in Washtenaw County. He asked for those involved to be subpoenaed and be made to testify in front of Congress about the validity of the swamp gas explanation. Ford made such a stink about the incident that a committee was formed to evaluate whether Project Blue Book was overall effective. Said committee concluded that Blue Book had overstayed its welcome on the payroll, and the organization was ultimately disbanded. That would seem to be the end of Project Blue Book, but as far as we know, Majestic 12 could still be in operation today. And alongside them, the men in black. With Majestic 12 as their handlers, they continue to suppress those who see alien activity in the night sky. Except there's one problem I see with this theory. The first reported sighting of the Men in Black occurred in late June 1947, and Majestic 12 wasn't formed until that fall. Uh, It's possible that the Men in Black were formed initially to deal with Dahl and a few other loose cannons, But once their effectiveness became apparent, they were absorbed by Majestic 12 as their top-secret hitmen. Maybe. It still seems far-fetched that any of this existed. The only piece of proof is a leaked memo from President Truman authorizing the creation of Majestic 12. But that memo has faced criticism since it was first released and called a hoax. Truly, the only counterpoint I can make is that the government can conceal almost anything they want, Madge 12 included. But that's not enough for me. To further debunk this, in 1994, an Air Force report revealed sound reasoning for the Roswell confusion. They explained that the crash was part of Project Mogul, a top-secret project conducted by the armed forces. It involved sending microphones into the upper atmosphere by way of a balloon in the hopes of detecting sound waves generated by nuclear detonations in the Soviet Union. Granted, that seems like a crackpot method of espionage, 
But it turns out the science behind Project Mogul's experiment actually made a lot of sense. Dr. Maurice Ewing of Columbia University was the man who initially conceived of the project. He theorized that, similar to the way underwater explosions can be heard from thousands of miles away using underwater microphones, the same might be true of sound waves traveling in a sound channel in the upper atmosphere. A sound channel in the atmosphere carries sound much farther than it would normally travel through the air. Uh, think of kids in the 1950s making a telephone out of two soup cans and some string. The sound channel is the string. The Project Mogul team developed its own high-tech materials for the weather balloons they used for the experiment, including fiber optic cables that could easily look like a bundle of sticks. They also developed a lightweight, ultra-strong metal that is still used in aircraft today, but at the time would have looked completely alien. That could account for a lot of the extraterrestrial talk surrounding this incident. There are also those who claim alien bodies were pulled from the crash, but the government has an explanation for that. The aliens were actually dummies, dropped over New Mexico as part of a project that tested ways for pilots to survive falls from high altitudes. Because the dummies had to pass for human, they were made of latex and filled with aluminum bones, which gave them a lifelike but utterly alien quality. But Roswell skeptics find this equally suspicious, especially because, for over 30 years, all that was known about the crash at Roswell was the official government story and any circulating conspiracy rumors that caught traction. But in 1980, 33 years after the crash, Major Jesse Marcel, an intelligence officer who was officially present on that fateful day in Roswell, came forward to publicly confirm that the weather balloon photograph taken at Roger Ramey's home was a hoax, that the real wreckage taken to Wright Field had never been seen by the public, and the documents and actions that followed the crash were highly classified information. Government officials have denied his claims and discredited Marcel, but Marcel stuck to his story until his death in 2013. Well, that does lend one last scrap of credence to the government cover-up theory, but I don't think it's enough. Agreed. I'm going to give this conspiracy theory a 5 out of 10. I think it's highly plausible that a top-secret organization was created to handle matters of national security, including contact with aliens. But I'm still not convinced that there's a separate organization called the Men in Black. I'm also not sold on the idea that Majestic 12 was the all-powerful shadow government it's made out to be, or that it even existed in the first place. Now that said, I don't doubt that an organization like MAJ-12 enjoys its anonymity and free reign within Washington, D.C. It's naive to assume we know about every faction of every branch of government currently in operation. There's no doubt in my mind that years from now, secret projects will be declassified and leave the public dumbfounded. Uh, conspiracy theory is a Molly Brandenburg original. And I agree with your conclusions. There's no Majestic 12 and no Men in Black. But there are those who believe that there is more to the Men in Black than a mere covert government agency. Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. Now the story continues. Time for conspiracy theory number two. The men in black are an alien race living on Earth to glean our secrets, weapons, and culture while fighting to maintain their invisibility. Within this theory, the purpose of their stay has been widely speculated. Some believe they've come to colonize the Earth, mate with humans, steal our water, or far more innocently, just say hi. In 1967, one of the officials on Project Blue Book said, quote, Mysterious men dressed in Air Force uniforms or all in black and displaying impressive credentials from government agencies have been silencing UFO witnesses. We have checked a number of these cases. These men are not connected to the Air Force in any way. We haven't been able to find out anything about these men. 
By posing as Air Force officers and government agents, they are committing a federal offense. We would sure like to catch one. Unfortunately, the trail is always too cold by the time we hear about these cases. End quote. The idea that these men, or for the sake of argument, aliens, are acting of their own accord fits a lot of puzzle pieces over the years. One of the most recent of these encounters took place in San Jose, California, 1993. An amateur UFO researcher named Terry had been speaking with MUFON about a UFO sighting that had taken place in San Jose weeks prior. She was also conducting her own research on the case. One evening, she took a break from her investigation to meet her boyfriend at a local bar. She arrived early and got a drink ahead of his arrival. But instead of her boyfriend, she was approached by two men whom she described as FBI Mormons. Black suits, white shirts, the whole uniform. They were accompanied by a man in a military uniform. Terry says she remembers looking at the military officer's badge so that she could follow up about the visit afterwards, but realized that his name badge had no vowels, only consonants. It was a jumble of letters instead of a name. That's when she knew she was in trouble. Terry excused herself from the bar and went across the street to use a payphone. She called her boyfriend several times, but he never picked up. Panicked, she went back into the bar to ask about her boyfriend. The military officer said that her boyfriend had been detained. Scared, Terry asked the bartender to call the police, but one of the men in black told her that would be a mistake. He asked her to sit at a booth with them and have a chat. After about 45 minutes of this interview, the three men left Terry alone at the bar. She rushed home where she continued to call her boyfriend for hours on end, to no avail. She didn't hear from him for two months. When her boyfriend finally did reach out, he claimed that he ceased all contact with Terry because two men in black suits had shown up at his apartment and informed him that Terry was a threat to national security and that he should avoid her at all costs. For many, this story proves that the men in black and their immediate associates are an alien race. The name badge proving they have a tenuous grasp of our language and are not working with the U.S. government, but rather working solo, trying to keep their identities quiet as they slowly infiltrate our planet. Terry was on the verge of cracking their cover wide open, and they had to intimidate her. This would also account for the strange appearance the MIB is claimed to have. Their pale faces, monotone or even robotic voices, and the painted on lips that many people have described. I just want to poke one hole in this story. If Terry was really the ufologist she claimed to be, why did she describe the men in black as FBI Mormons? By 1993, you would think a ufologist worth their salt would know who the men in black were and what they'd be doing speaking with her. And if she really was on the verge of exposing an entire alien race, then she would probably be an experienced enough ufologist to know what was going on. A very fair point. But for the sake of argument, let's say she wasn't aware who the men in black were. The fact remains, that's a pretty scary interaction. And as time goes by, encounters with the men in black have only gotten more intimidating and otherworldly. As recently as 2016, people have reported creepy interactions with the men in black that seem superhuman. In May 2016, a conspiracy theorist wrote into one of their favorite YouTube channels, Secure Team 10, about a UFO sighting he'd witnessed. The YouTube channel has made a name for itself as extraterrestrial investigators and loves hearing from fans. Shortly after the YouTube channel mentioned the sighting on the internet, the man who wrote in received a visit from two men, identical twins who were pale with ink black eyes. They had no smiles or distinguishing facial characteristics, just blank stares. What makes this disturbing is that the moderator for the channel posted no name or contact information from the man who supplied the UFO story. There was literally no trail of breadcrumbs back to the person who posted the video, leaving some to believe that finding the man in question was an act of clairvoyance. 
Carter, I'm going to stop you there. A simpler explanation is that this YouTube channel was hacked and the email address of the person and thereby his identity was revealed. Perhaps, but hacking a YouTube conspiracy theory channel, then setting up an elaborate prank to scare this man, seems equally far-fetched. This won't be shocking, but I can't buy into the alien abilities of the men in black. They've yet to do anything that a hacker or a slightly skilled street magician couldn't pull off. And as for coming here to colonize the planet or mate with humans, I mean, not to judge them, but you'd think they'd have gotten around to it sometime in the past 70 years. Also, and this is a personal hang-up, I doubt we're biologically compatible to carry alien children. I have to give this conspiracy theory a 2 out of 10. The two points are largely for creativity. It sounds like the people visited by the men in black already had preconceived notions on who they were and wanted to see things that weren't really happening. I'm apt to agree with you. Although, if there are any aliens out there who did come to our planet just to say hi, we here at Parcast say hi right back. That said, of all the details of these stories, I believe most, it's the name badge without any vowels. I can abide the name badge. It's the exact kind of detail that makes the story sound unbelievable, which might have been the exact intended effect. Which brings us to our third and final conspiracy theory. Are the men in black intimidating the American public to protect aliens that are already living among us? Some would suggest that the government would stop at nothing to conceal top-secret information, even psychological warfare, on their own citizens. Our final conspiracy theory this week will be one that you've probably watched play out in the movies. Conspiracy theory number three. The men in black are engaging in psychological warfare with the American public to protect aliens that are already living among us. Last week, we covered a document leaked by Edward Snowden that suggested the Men in Black were indeed a government organization, but that organization in no way reflected the flashy, high-tech depiction of the Men in Black that we see in the movies. Rather, the leaked document suggested that the Men in Black were members of the CIA, who would purposefully play into the stereotype when visiting the homes of conspiracy theorists and ufologists in the hope of stirring them into a frenzy. Then, because the men in black became associated with fringe extremists, it prevented more moderate citizens from coming forward about any UFO sightings they may have experienced for fear of being called crazy. It's an interesting concept, but is there any truth to it? Dr. Michael E. Sala, a writer for Exo News, believes so. He writes, quote, if you want to hide secrets from your citizenry that are about to be exposed, you hire somebody to come forward and publicly reveal the secret in such a sensationalist way that people will dismiss it as a lie." End quote. Afterwards, anyone coming forward with similar information will also be accused of lying or being utterly foolish. Sala believes this tactic of hiding in plain sight has been a time-honored tradition in the U.S. government and military. He asserts that this kind of warfare has been used on U.S. citizens since the 1950s to try and contain alien activity on Earth. He also believes that Hollywood has been complicit in discrediting those who have experienced alien activity. Sala claims that in January 1953, the newly formed CIA held a panel to discuss the increasing number of Americans who believed they had experienced extraterrestrial activity. This came to be known as the Robertson Panel and seems to have legitimately existed. After a careful review, they released a document called the Durant Report, which suggested ridiculing both the UFO phenomenon and those who experienced the alien activity, so as to make them seem fringe and crazy, essentially gaslighting Americans on a massive scale. They claim they were doing this for national security reasons. A part of this document suggested using the movie industry as a means by which to debunk UFO sightings and activity and convince the American public that there was no truth to these flying saucers. 
Sala believes that part of this effort was to distract from the fact that aliens had not only made contact with Earth, but were already living here. Sala adds that around this time, Command Sergeant Major Robert Dean was working at the NATO Supreme Headquarters, stationed in the Operations Center. Due to his high level of clearance, he claims to have reviewed a secret NATO document proving there were already four alien civilizations living on Earth among us, all being protected by the government. For the record, we can't find any additional information supporting this. But let's say extraterrestrials are living among us. How is the government controlling that enormous secret? And even better, why are we harboring aliens? In 1975, a psychic named Ingo Swan claims to have been viewing extraterrestrial activity remotely on the surface of the moon and other nearby planets. He says that his remote viewing was so successful that he was tapped by the government to aid them in observing alien life both on planet Earth and the greater solar system. Swan was happy to oblige, beginning Project Stargate. He delivered intelligence on alien activity and began training members of the military to be able to do the same. However, because his work was secretive, Swan claims that most members of the government had no idea he was working on the project. He recalled a day he went shopping in a local supermarket. There, he eyed an attractive woman who looked human but seemed off. According to Swan, the woman's dress and mannerisms were just odd enough to tip him off to the fact that she was extraterrestrial. To the untrained eye, he claimed that she would have gone undetected. But given his work, she stuck out like a sore thumb. As he moved closer to her, his body began to buzz, and he began to receive intuitive information about her. Then, just behind her, he saw two identical men standing side by side, clad in black suits and sunglasses. The men began to stare Swan down, and he grew nervous. He quickly exited the store, but the two men followed him out, cornering him in the parking lot. One of the men demanded to know whether telepathic information had been exchanged between the two. It took Swan quite some time to assure the man that was not the case. The other agent kept asserting that the woman in the supermarket is incredibly dangerous and he should not seek any kind of contact with her. After this encounter, Swan realized that these men in black were tailing aliens on Earth, protecting their identities at all costs and preventing ordinary citizens from interacting with alien life. In other words, Swan believes that the men in black movies might be more documentary than fiction. But if this woman was as dangerous as they claim, what was she doing in a supermarket? Shouldn't she be in some top secret, high security facility where only trained military officials can get to her? Also, I find it incredibly convenient that almost nobody can back up Swan's claims because it was so high level and his mission was so secretive that almost no government official knew about his work with the CIA and the military. Sure. But to continue on with the theory, the military wanted to keep alien activity on Earth secret, so they began commissioning Hollywood to make movies that were so on the nose, anyone who actually believed them? would seem absolutely crazy. Since the 1950s, uh, there have been prime examples of this. Independence Day, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Contact, The X-Files, although none have been so recognizable or popular as the Men in Black franchise, which would be protecting the biggest government secret of all. Last chance, who are you and what do you know? I'm an agent of Men in Black, but I'm from the future. We're partners. 25 years from now, you're going to recruit me. And 14 years after that, the guy you didn't let me kill today at Coney Island, he escapes from prison and jumps back in the past and unleashes a full-scale invasion of Earth. We had about 19 hours to catch him and kill him. So really, we need to go right now. I'll be honest. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around this one. Also, none of this explains why we would allow aliens to live here in secret. 
especially dangerous ones. Well, some people speculate that these aliens could be refugees in need of a home, and we allow them to live here in exchange for information on creating advanced military weapons and technology. Okay, but if a civilization of aliens are so advanced that they can fly saucers to our planet and hide their genetic makeup enough to pass for human, shouldn't they be advanced enough to create a new home for themselves independent of our help? Uh, yeah. It doesn't really hold water. I point blank do not believe that aliens are living among us, or that Hollywood is complicit in propagating government alien conspiracies. Rather, I think they know that Action and Will Smith will sell a movie. I give this theory a 1 out of 10. I don't think the Men in Black exist outside of the use outlined in the Snowden document. I think it's easy to believe that CIA officials occasionally use the guise of Men in Black suits to gaslight conspiracy theorists who stumbled upon something they shouldn't have to protect government secrets. Although, if you do think you've seen a UFO recently, think twice about sharing, lest a pair of men in black suits darken your doorstep. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. If you want to hear more Conspiracy Theories, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast directory. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. Tell us your favorite Conspiracy Theories on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, and on Twitter at Parcast Network. Join us next week as we dive into another conspiracy theory. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Conspiracy Theories is written by Aaron Lan and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. 